This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's show, lots to cover, a lot of interesting news in, in the, the cycle this week. Number one, we'll chat about Southwest. There's just way too many flight attendants getting getting punched in the face, so we got we to chat about it. Um, EVTOL uh, startup Archer is seeking to dismiss the trade secrets lawsuit filed by WISC, but that doesn't look like it's going anywhere. That seems like it's getting only increasingly messy. Uh, we'll talk about Mighty Fly, which has been cleared to start autonomous cargo drone service. Uh, they've gotten some some clearance from the FAA, which will be cool. Um, and then we'll, in our engineering segment, we'll talk about Pipistrol. They have a light sport aircraft. Uh, it's got an electric motor and about an hour of flight time with an hour charge time. So pretty cool. Some rough news for by Aerospace, their battery supplier, Oxus Energy, is facing bankruptcy. So we'll talk about the implications there. And then our EVTOL segment, lots of interesting stuff going on there. We'll talk about some certification issues, which we've talked a bunch about in the past. Uh, Ehang is unveiling a longer range uh, design. And Kelicona has thrown out a 40-passenger concept, which seems straight out of science fiction at this point. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well as some price controls. So, Alan, let's start with Southwest. It's been really sad. Southwest is calling off uh, plans. Well, the plans to sell alcohol in the planes does not make me sad. I, I'm neutral to it. Uh, but there's just been a lot of incidences with unruly uh, passengers. And well, recently, a uh, Southwest flight attendant was punched in the face, lost some teeth. And, I mean, things are getting are getting rough. What do you attribute this to? Alcohol. <laughs> Alcohol. People being upset about masks. Uh, reconnecting with the rest of society after being disconnected for a year. All those, all those things are playing into it. Uh, I recently flew to Las Vegas and I was, I kind of like flying through Las Vegas because it's a, di- it's a different place. There's a little more activity going on there than most airports. Uh, the only place, I, I guess there's more places with slot machines. There's a couple places with slot machines in the country, but <laughs> that has to have the most. And the amount of alcohol there is, is, is high, right? I mean, the people leaving the casino are going to go home uh, for the most part. And I, th- I, I think you see it in places where people have been partying and or and florida had a rash of it um some of the islands had a rash of it and i think that's that's it's just a big problem with alcohol people being upset about masks people being overly sensitive about stuff and flight attendants worried about their well-being which they have every right to <laughs> for a, a two-hour flight you're going to get into a fist fight and punch somebody, <laughs> punch a flight attendant, which is a federal offense, by the way. You're not going to county jail. You're going to the, you're big going to the big house. You're going to federal prison if they convict you, and that's not worth it. There's no airline flight that's worth that. Does that does that make any sense, Dan? Like, does anybody realize the consequence of that? Maybe they, maybe they don't. Maybe they're just inebriated enough they don't realize it. I mean. 
Hey, we haven't heard that many physical. Like this is a rare one, the physical. Like this woman getting punched in the face. But I don't know. I guess idiots can be idiots anywhere, including in the sky. People are just like less filtered about yeah. what they're not just not thinking. I don't know. I don't know. It's well, the, the FAA is issuing fines. Yeah, I, I I think so. And the FAA yeah, is taking a much like more aggressive, really stance. expensive fines, like fifty thousand dollars. I saw for some passengers. Right. $10,000 here, $10,000 there, and like a $10,000 fine from the FAA. They're not kidding, right? When the feds do that and, and impose it and lock it in via some sort of court finding, you're, they'll take it out of your paycheck forever. Like that, that's a debt that's never going away. They will get that money or you're going to jail. I mean, that's, that's what will happen in that, in that outcome. And I, it's just not worth it. I, I know on some recent Southwest flights that I've taken, they've been trying to lower the temperature down a little bit and some of the initial everyone's a lot more docile when it's cold <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true no one's fighting that's when true. they're when they're sh- when they're shivering <laughs> but if it's real hot in there and that's a very real thing i mean you wonder if this summer the first summer back from covid where there's still it's still iffy with masks here in dc like some businesses allow them if you're vaccinated or allowed no mask if you're vaccinated Many are still not. Many people are still wearing their masks despite being vaccinated wow. and, and in a business that allows them to not wear one, which is baffling. But if it's like 95 degrees and people are angry about masks and are just, I don't know, this summer could be like the summer of fistfights, well, unfortunately. It, I hope not. Yeah, but. well, it, it does make you wonder because wasn't the Department of Transportation over the weekend said they wanted people to wear masks on airplanes just because it's the right thing to do? Like. That's not the reason why you wear a mask on an airplane. You wear a mask on an airplane because there is some health implications. Just like when we started it, there were some health implications. You want to make sure that wasn't some sort of outbreak that was due to aircraft and people moving around. Awesome. But that is essentially over. At some point, you're going to have to release that. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have flight attendants assaulted. I mean, that's the, that is the reality of the situation. You will have flight attendants assaulted. And it, it the the penalty for it is not connecting to some random person who doesn't read the FAA website about the fines and maybe has a drink before they get on the airplane. Whammo. Uh, those situations can escalate so fast. And you just feel bad for the flight attendants and, and, who are stuck in the middle. I mean, they got an employer that's telling them one thing. They got the FAA that's telling them uh, you got to do these certain things. And you got passengers that are tired of it. It's inevitable. Yep, we're all tired of it. But be nice to your flight attendants, everyone. Yeah, come on. So uh, Mighty Fly has gotten FAA approval to start doing some uh, test test flights with its hybrid electric uh, autonomous cargo EVTOL aircraft. Quite a mouthful. Um, good reporting <laughs> yeah. from futureflight.aero. Uh, but they're going to be seeing if they can deliver these these reasonable payloads, you know, maybe a hundred pounds here or there up to 600 miles. Um, Alan, what, wow. what, what is, what is, what's unique about this little special airworthiness certificate? Well, it's, it's part of a program that the FAA started a couple of years ago uh, to apply what they call part 135 uh, regulations, what's called them, uh, conditions of operating a pay for, to pay a paid for flight, like a, uh, air carrier kind of thing, which has never been envisioned in a sense in the regulations of you have a pilotless aircraft. It's not necessarily pilotless as there's not somebody on the ground controlling it, but there's not somebody in the craft, in the aircraft. 
that's the difference. Now, when I looked at when you when I looked at the pictures online, you're like, this is not your average drone. Like this is the size of a small car. Mm-hmm. It's it's decent size. Anything less than hundred pounds and goes six hundred miles is going to be big. And <laughs> I understand the rationale why we want to do this, but I don't understand the rationale why we want to do this. Like what what can't we carry right now? airport to airport on an aircraft. I, I mean, even if it was, even if it's, um, uh, a, a, a pilot, a, an unpiloted drone thing. Is, is the intent, at least what I, what I was reading through this, is the intent to basically drop cargo in some random place as needed, not actually go to an airport and land the thing. That bothers me. That part bothers me because the most critical part of any flight is landing or in some case, deploying cargo. And when something goes wrong there, I'm not sure what, how great that's going to be in terms of people on the ground and property on the ground and what it looks like. Because um, can you imagine, I mean, you know, Dan, you order some 99 pound <laughs> Amazon product and it comes delivered to your front door. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. 200, 297 boxes of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Bought at a discount from Amazon. Delivered to my door. Looks like they like would what, fit. Yeah. What's the economics of that? I don't think that makes any sense economically to do that when they have the the postal trucks going by your place every day anyway. Yeah. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. And the downside risk is that this, this craft falls out of the sky or hits something or runs into something and... Well, I feel like it kind of goes back to your point there. I feel like it kind of goes back to the idea of whole truckload versus these small shipments, right? Like yeah. if you can ship a whole truckload of something, it comes way more economical than shipping one off, right? This sure. is a absolutely some, something. Uh, what was I reading? Something about a, a a carpet manufacturer. They were trying to become more eco friendly. And they were trying to recycle their carpet, but like taking someone like tearing carpet out of a commercial building and shipping it back to their factory was just super duper expensive. So they started to create caches where like you could have a local warehouse until it got to a full truckload of this used old um, carpet. Oh, then they could pick up in a whole truckload and then it made economic sense. Sure. So, you know, that kind of just was in my head as you're just talking now about the economics of these little a very high tech small shipments like you said if you can throw all these packages on one ups truck how is that not more economical i don't know probably not as fast depending on you know whatever but yeah i i get the one there was one drone service that's operating in north carolina in some mining conditions where they wanted to move equipment like across a mountaintop to get from one mine site to the other mine site that totally makes sense to me, right? I mean, that that that's not. It's in a rural area. You got equipment that's very difficult to get it from A to B because there's a mountain in the way, and you can just basically jump over the mountain with the drone. Okay, but delivering macaroni and cheese makes no sense. No one's gonna. <laughs> I just but don't. I, I just don't see it. That's that's what I want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever Jeff Bezos can deliver. It will be, you know, authorized, I guess. We'll see. So moving on to our engineering segment, let's talk about 
um, conventional takeoff airplanes, we there's just so much news about the EVTOL sector. It's uh, just everywhere. But today, let's talk about the Alpha Electro, which is a light sport aircraft from Pipistrol. It's got an hour, about an hour of flight time, and it only takes about an hour to charge, which is pretty cool. Um, and so this is another one of those, you know, new technologies using electric motors, you know, pretty well, pretty efficiently. I mean, that seems reasonable that if you're training a, a new pilot, even being on the ground for an hour to recharge doesn't seem like a big deal as you're probably getting ready for the next next student and, you know, going through some checks and all that stuff. And of course, obviously the battery technology will increase, you know, and increase that flight time over time. But um, I mean, Alan, you, where do you fall on this use for light sport aircraft? Because I know you have some concerns about weight as they're already really light. I mean, hence the name. Um, but heaviness and, and the weight has something to do with uh, the, the safety of the aircraft, doesn't it? Yeah, the accident rate for light sport aircraft is not very good. And, and the thought was that uh, taking some of the, the more restrictive regulations away and simplifying the, the approval process for light sport aircraft would open up a whole new marketplace uh, for less expensive aircraft. That hasn't happened in the way they envisioned it. The aircraft are still expensive and when i say expensive like the price of a house <laughs> it's expensive uh so an aircraft is expensive to make period let's get that on the table the the other part about light sport aircraft uh from a safety standpoint is that they're light and they get tossed around a good bit and i think that has something to do with the accident rate that they've seen mm-hmm. because they just don't have a lot of mass there but I, I think the concept is right. I think the electric concept and the battery concept and the recharge capability is right. The operating costs are way lower because of the electric motor and the battery, just a simplicity standpoint. It's just a lot less to take care of. So if you if you have a training facility and you want to keep your operating costs low, that's how you do it. Uh, you, you start putting electric aircraft in there because you're not going very far. On a, yeah. And it's some sort of training run. You're just not, and, and that's that's sort of the perfect marketplace. Right? It's, it's about that discussion from a marketing standpoint. You want to niche down and find that sweet spot where your product works, and you can be the expert in that one thing. Well, Pipistrol is kind of starting to own that space a little bit uh, because of the technology they're bringing forth and the electric aspects and lowering their operating costs and doing all these other things. I think it's a cool airplane. I I think they're going to be successful with it. They already are successful with it because they're. You see it being um, shown in multiple different countries. You see a lot of interest in it. It's going to stick around for a little while, it looks like. Yeah, and what I thought was cool is I watched a YouTube video about it is that, you know, because it's electric, like the torque curve is so fast that it's getting up to speed and take off like really, really fast, Yeah. which is the same thing with like Tesla automobiles. I mean, they're so fast because you put the ga- you put the accelerator pedal down, not the gas pedal. And it's just like all the all the engine's power is there immediately. So that's a pretty, pretty cool torque. thing. Yeah. yeah, infinite torque. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about electric motors. Yeah. And, but I, I think it's also going to take some time for um, pilots to get used to use of that effect. A lot, of, a lot of engines take time to spool up. They're not instantaneous. And in electric aircraft, you can get away with a lot more. And there's other things that you don't have to worry about. It's like carburetor icing and all the all the associated problem failure modes that occur with uh, a piston engine go away with electric. And if you, you will at some point, the goal is to transition up to a larger aircraft for most pilots is to to move up to a a larger single than to a twin. You have to learn those other skill sets because the electric aircraft is really simple to operate, which makes it great for a trainer, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily great for 
moving into like the twin world yet. Yeah. Well, speaking of twin engine, uh, Oxus Energy, which was the battery supplier of lithium sulfur batteries for all different applications, uh, is facing bankruptcy, which is unfortunate for the Bi Airspace E Flyer 800, which is the uh, eight seat electric um, dual prop plane that Bi Airspace is developing. Um, I mean, Alan, do you feel like this is going to be a quick, you know, just grab another supplier? I mean, it, I think the one positive for buy is that there's a lot of battery power needs in the world at the moment. So I'm sure there's yeah. someone else out there, right? Maybe, or is this going to be well, a, a problem for them? The sulfur part of that battery was the trick. And I think that was going to increase the energy density by roughly a factor of two. So that was the, the, the whole value to that battery system. And why that was chosen is it's all about energy density and weight, right? So you can get more energy packed in that same amount of volume, then it, it works great for airplanes. And if you're if you're trying to make a twin engine aircraft like a King Air, you're going to need a lot of energy to make it go far. So the pairing up of Bi and Oxus made a lot of sense at the time. But it's starting to feel a little bit like Oxus knew this was coming. So the most the the most uh, valuable time, or most the 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 time to 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 extract the most value for your com- company in an aircraft environment is to get an aircraft designer wrapped around you, then say you're going to file bankruptcy <laughs> because the aircraft manufacturer feels like they're getting stuck. Right? They're, in a, they're in a really bad position and that maybe they'll buy you and maybe they'll mm-hmm. overpay for you uh, mm-hmm. because the option what Oxus is trying right now and what you hear a lot of reports is, is that they're offering all their patents for sale. Now you haven't heard anybody buying them, but they're going to offer them for sale, and and if you're if you're buy, you're going to have to worry about that. Like, well, maybe Textron buys all their patents, and I can't, I, I don't have my batteries for my airplanes anymore, which Textron could do, right? I mean, Textron could really, at a, at this point, put a big dent in the eight seat twin that buy wants to make, and so there's a lot of that business aspect. And as engineers, you don't really think about those avenues that happen, but it's still, at the end of the day, it's still business. And if Oxus thinks they can get a big value for their corporation or get cash out of it and cease operations, so and that's the right financial thing to do, then maybe that's the right thing to do for that company. But it, it does have ramifications much larger than their company. It does. And that's, you, you see it in aerospace uh, quite a bit. You get a supplier locked in and then they you know, they try to leverage you for for cash so they don't go bankrupt. And Boeing's been in that situation a number of times over the years, and it just turns ugly. There's really no good outcome of that. Boeing at times has taken over companies so to keep them out of bankruptcy and then continue making parts so the airplanes still run on the production line. But you don't want to be doing that. If you're, if you're a smaller aircraft company, you don't have the people to do that. And so it does, it does hurt. Um, you know, schedules on with buy on the twin. It's going to, it has to, it has to, which is a shame because I think there's a lot of great things going on at buy right now. There really are. The, the trainer, the two seat and the four seat trainer make total sense. And I think those airplanes are going to be great airplanes once they get them out, out and delivered. Well, and, and one of the things that buy was looking towards was that 550 watt hours per kilogram density that Oxus was hoping to get to. Yeah. Uh, by 2023, and this uh, was, a, was a good article about this on evtl.com. Um, 
And so now I guess, the, you know, like you said, they've got to re re-steer the ship and figure out where they can maybe get that future energy density. Cause it doesn't sound like that's on the market, you know, the way that they're trying to develop no. that. No. And that's, I think no. the big challenge is companies are trying to get ahead of that and say, okay, we want this target in the future. What companies are doing that? But if they're startups, they're just going to be subject to this riskier environment where, yeah, they don't have a lot of orders. They're developing a lot of new technology. They're doing a lot of research. They need a lot of investment money without a lot of orders coming in. And that's that troubling, I don't know, that it's, it's difficult. Yeah, and Dan, it's very similar to uh, if you see, a, there's been a lot of uh, piston engines being built for smaller Part 23 aircraft for over a number of years and how unsuccessful those programs have been on a just a standard internal combustion engine where they just don't make it, right? And why would electric motors and batteries be really any different than the internal combustion engine, which we've known for 100 plus years how to make work? all the time new engine programs come new engine programs go and you just scratch your head like i don't know why they, they couldn't get this motor to work and i think the same thing exists here the the problem uh, for an aircraft manufacturer is sort of twofold though, though right now before you got fuel liquid fuel which you can buy any airport anywhere so that that problem is solved on a, on a typical internal combustion engine it's just the motor part you got to go figure out mm-hmm. <laughs> on electric you got to get the batteries and the power plant, the electric motor. You got two big problems instead of just the motor problem. And that it's sort of, it adds to the level of complexity and difficult to the engineering staff is, is what it does. So let's move on to our EVTOL segment today. Uh, first, let's talk about certification. So, Alan, there's a good article from aviationtoday.com just talking about where some of these companies are. Jovi Aviation. Uh, is one of the first they got um, military airworthiness from the AFWorks Agility Prime program. Right. That's still a far uh, shot from FAA certification. Yes. Um, you know, we'll spend a couple minutes here, but you know, what are the what are the big keys here? Because it, you know, this article says that you know Archer, for example, uh, will use a blend of current FAA Part 23, 27, 33, 35, 36 requirements. Um, <laughs> so, that sounds, I don't know what that means, but that sounds complicated. Sounds, um, yeah, impressive, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So take us through some of the hurdles here. Oh, I mean, <laughs> okay, just all of them. All the hurdles. Alan has, Alan there's, has spoken. There's, well, I think there's, I think in the EVTO market, there are so many that it gets hard to even break it down into bite sized pieces. And I, I think as engineers, one of the first things they teach in engineering school. Uh, one to do your homework, and two is to break down problems into bite-sized pieces, so you can solve the, each part without having to solve the whole thing at one time. And the problem right now for a lot of EV, EV tolls is that they have uh, twenty-three, <laughs> part twenty-three, part twenty-seven, power plant, propellers. So they, they're, they're touching all these different areas that a typical aircraft company like a Textron won't touch. Like mm-hmm. Textron doesn't make props or hasn't made props in a long time. Textron doesn't make motors. Uh, at least unlike in the Cessna or the beach lines, they don't. They buy them, right? So there's two of those off the table. They can just buy a component. And, and now the EV toll's got two more left, which is that it's part helicopter, part aircraft. And so you got two sets of regulations, one for aircraft, one for rotorcraft, that you have to meld together to make this set of regulations or requirements for this aircraft, which really no one has ever done before. <laughs> so... So 
a lot of sometimes those those regulations don't necessarily jive the way you think they would. There's got to be some interpretation to them. There's got to be some learning that goes on. But it's just a massive amount of complexity you've added to it because, in my opinion, because of the vertical part. The vertical part adds a lot of cost and complexity, weight cost, uh, material cost, you name it. It's adding a lot of complexity to the aircraft where like a buy aerospace doesn't have to do that. Buy is going to buy a propeller, I think. Seems like it. And they're, they're clearly buying uh, Safran Motors. I mean, that's that's been announced multiple times. They're just building an airframe. So Buy's just building an airframe, a Part Twenty Three airplane, of which we've been part building Part Twenty Three airplanes for years. Uh, so Buy has a much smaller bite-sized problem to work on versus Joby, which has multiple problems to work on. That's the difference. And so from an engineering standpoint, you need to look at how many, my opinion, you need to look at how many people are on staff to solve all those problems because everybody's working on the bite-sized chunk. And there's only so many people working on bite-sized chunks. You need a lot of people chewing a lot of time. <laughs> so the, the, amount, the amount of overhead amount of people at a, at a Joby ought to be two to three times as many people as it, as it by, has to be to make it go. Well, let's stick with this this line here. So uh, as far as engineering and trade secrets go, there's a pretty contentious lawsuit right now between WISC and Archer. Of course, what lawsuit is not contentious, but this one is <laughs> yeah. getting, uh, it seems a little messier. The FBI is involved. Um, yeah. Archer is saying, which I feel like this word is used in every lawsuit, which is baseless. Everyone just calls them, <laughs> oh, this lawsuit against me is baseless. <laughs> well, some of them are, but uh, this one seems like it's not going anywhere any soon or mm -hmm. anywhere any anytime soon. It seems like it's only heating up. Um, Alan, what are some of the, without getting into the specifics, because there isn't that much known, there's definitely some similarity, which is what WISC was claiming when some of their, uh, many of their engineers were hired to go work for Archer. Yeah. Um, you can definitely see some of the design um, potentially incorporated with, with Archer's aircraft, but what's the, what's the big code of conduct here for engineers? I mean, you're an aerospace engineer. What would you, what would, what warnings and what, what code of conduct would you share with a young engineer to not end up in a situation where they might be in trouble um, doing something like this? In today's world, when you sign on to a company to work for them as an engineer, there's rarely a case in which you're not signing a confidentiality, non disclosure agreement that lasts for years after you leave the company. If they're smart, and they may even have to sign a non compete. Now, non competes tended to be, back in the 90s, not so much today, where you couldn't work for a competitor for a year. So basically you couldn't eat for a year or, or couldn't work in, some, in a similar industry because everybody's a competitor in airplanes. Who's not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'd have to go homeless for a year while the clock ticks away. You as an engineer have to make really good decisions here. If you're signing that non-disclosure, that means they're going to hold your feet to the fire. And there's some corporate lawyer who's who works for that corporate works for the company who's going to come after your rear end if you decide to in theory take things out <laughs> that belong to the company they're paying you not to do that and that's the that's the company rationale is like i'm paying you not to steal our stuff don't steal our stuff uh and as an engineer you're like well you know there's a fuzzy line between what's yours and what's my 
intellectual property. It's my head I own. I own what's inside my skull. You don't own that, right? Mm -hmm. And but we said, well, everything you wrote down, everything is written down or on a com computer somewhere. We own any any sort of public information you made in a meeting or whatever. They own. So you have to know that. And as you get uh, older and more experienced and you're coming through the ranks of stuff, you have to realize there's a point at which uh, maybe the compensation you're getting for the ideas you're creating isn't compatible with you anymore. So you have two choices. Swallow it. Give them the give your company that's paying you a weekly salary, give them the idea and move on. Let it go. Or if you think the idea is so grandiose and worth so much money that you're going to set the world on fire, then you better shut up and not tell anybody about it and leave. Give it a couple of weeks, start your own company, go to work for somebody else who's going to pay you for what that idea is worth. Those are your options. What your options are not is downloading a bunch of documents off of off of this company A and then going to work for company B and loading, giving them all the information. Now, company B ought to be smart enough and have uh, corporate attorneys too to say, you can't do that. We're not looking at that stuff and you're fired. Get out now. Like, you got to go right now uh, because you're going to get sued. And rightly so, you're going to get sued. But engineers fit this weird place where they're intellectual property what's in their head what they consider intellectual property because it's me uh shouldn't get abused and if i'm working for a company that doesn't maybe the idea is not getting promoted or not the company doesn't have the money to invest in this properly and you feel like your idea is is withering on the vine you have this gumption like well screw it i'm going to to the next company and take this great idea and i'm going to get paid for it it's too late it's it's just too late. You can't you just can't do that because company A is gonna to sue company B and you're gonna be in the middle of it. And no matter what happens to company A or company B, you're gonna be unemployed. And not only are you gonna be unemployed from company A and company B, pretty much companies C, D, E, and F and G are never gonna hire you because you what you did there. So it's a good mm, lesson yeah. for everybody just to not do that and to figure out get an attorney. Get honestly swear to swear to God. If you think you're in that situation, get yourself an attorney and talk it out with somebody who knows what they're talking about and what that corporate law is and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. I did that early in my career and it was probably one of the best $200 I ever spent. If you have a great idea and you don't think their company you're working for is going to have any value in it, then quit. <laughs> Just quit. Quit. Don't tell them about it. Quit. Move on to someplace else. And I think that's a much more valuable experience and, and knowledge to have somebody on the outside rather than you or your spouse or whoever, your friends giving you advice. You better get you an attorney, someone who knows what, about corporate law and how you're going to get sued and get it figured out before you decide to walk out of a company. Because that's, that's trouble. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this story progresses. You know, both sides are debating the facts and we'll see what comes, comes out of the air. Yeah. So last on the docket today, uh, we'll go, we won't go into detail on the one, but um, Ehang's <laughs> got a long range. It's their VT30 EVTL design. Um, mm. Still pretty preliminary, but they're already looking at a longer, longer flight. Um, right. 
or just more more passengers in general. More passengers, so right. More passengers. Yeah, this is still actually going to be pretty short. So maybe a 35 kilometer, 20, 22 ish mile range. So yeah, I mean, they're still building off their thing. They're still, I guess, kicking after the, uh, you know, the stock turmoil handful of months ago. Right. Um, they're still plugging along. The other thing that's I find is interesting here is this company called Calicona is just sharing their prototype sketches of a 40-seater EVTOL aircraft that looks like a flying manatee uh, with ducted, <laughs> ducted fans. I mean, it's just that's what it looks like. There's no getting around it. Um, so while most EVTOL companies are struggling to make this work with two seats or four seats, this company's like, hey, we're going to do 40. Like, move, move on over, everyone. I mean, Alan, is this as, is this as out, outlandish as it sounds? Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, the image, the image isn't like you're in this uh, can. <laughs> it looks like a, an aerofoil with no uh, tail on it, no, imp- no empennage on it at all, and a bunch mm-hmm. of ducted fans that's providing all the directional thrust. I think that's just not going to happen. I, I I don't know how else to describe it. That's not going to happen. You're not going to get 40 people to get inside this enclosure. <laughs> I'll call it. You're not going to be able to certify it. It's not going to. Everything about the physics that says no, and also the human response to it and human emotion to it, it's going to say no. So why are we pursuing this, and why are people? I guess well, we got to fill space on the internet. There's, there was a slot on the internet available <laughs> for for some crazy airplane, right? This is this is the day. Every Thursday, we got to put another crazy airplane. That's not crazy, but like a, 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 a maybe unrealizable airplane design out there, and and uh, <laughs> keep all the readers interested. This is another one, and every it just seems like now it used to be they were like nuclear powered aircraft that were going to go Mach 5 and, and then and then it transitioned into uh, super efficient big jet engines and then we transitioned into electric and then it, it seems to like fluctuate and then the solar powered airplanes and the whole thing so because of this like gyration thing where it, it's like the old popular mechanics of d- days gone by which was you know they'd have stories that would uh, just not <laughs> There's no way these things are going to come to fruition, but it spark interest and keep creativity happen. I think when you see designs like this, it's like, oh, well, you know, okay. I mean, there's some pluses, there's some minuses. Oh, that's yeah, fun. right, yeah, right. You're not saying to yourself, man, I gotta call my stockbroker and invest in that airplane. <laughs> don't do that. No, 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 don't do that. Uh, that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. You want to hold your cash in these situations. But I, I think from a, from an engineer standpoint, you're like, oh god. Come on, you know, um, no, 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 and and maybe they, you know, prove me wrong. It's this, it's like we we're talking about. Maybe we need to have a predictions part of this of the of the podcast for on the airplane side, where you say yes or no, and then we like put it in an envelope, and a year from now we open it up and go, okay, Alan was right sixty two percent of the time, and yeah, a little time capsule. <laughs> It feels like it because it it's so wild right now that you you know it's just like um, you know, Tesla five years ago like oh yeah maybe they won't make it um, or you know all the Starship stuff that Musk is doing you're like oh there's no way uh, and but, yeah they, they pulled it off 
awesome. But I do feel like we're in this weird prediction mode. I'm, uh, we, we should do something like that. It'd be fun. <laughs> well, it's just, uh, you know, again, seeing all the struggles that companies are having to put their aircraft in the air with just two seats and then to see this 40 seater and then to look at the company's website <laughs> yeah. and see no, no faces on their about page. There's no people listed there. There's no head engineer. It's unclear like what this is. I mean, is it who, a, are, these, is it a who are these people? I don't <laughs> know a... how much money has any money been invested in this. Those are also unanswered questions. I couldn't find well, any. That's, that's a just, really good point, right? I think I mean, it's a very good point. Is it a SPAC play? It could just be a graphic designer <laughs> made some renderings of a plane and they made a website and said, we're going to do 40 seats. And that's as far as they've gotten. We don't, we don't know. Um, I mean, I mean, good, good luck and Godspeed, but there's not a lot of information besides the renderings and what they well, hope to have happen. Well, you know, you know, over the pandemic time, I was reading a really interesting couple of articles talking about the, the evolution to SPAC and how that f- structure is set up where it's like going to Vegas. <laughs> so there's been a lot of SPACs set up, and but you never, and they can only live for a certain amount of time. And you're never sure which one's going to be the one that hooks up with a corporation that has a possibility of making a big, big product. And you mm-hmm. kind of wonder if like a lot of, uh, if you want to tap the SPAC environment right now, that would be the way to do it. Like, oh, I, I got a SPAC to invest hundred million dollars of which we're never going to spend but it can keep me in you know nice lunches in an office for the next year or two <laughs> it's it's that's what it seems like it doesn't seem like there's a, a financial um a, a keen financial sense that goes along with the engineering and some of these projects where they're going to really come about and and make something of it yeah we'll see but you're right it's a it's kind of the wild west of designs and new things and like you said it's probably good just to get the creativity flowing but who knows if we'll ever see the this this uh design come to fruition so that's it for this week's episode of the struck aerospace engineering podcast thanks so much for listening be sure to subscribe on youtube itunes spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts and Share the show with a friend, leave us a review, we'd appreciate it, and we will see you here next week on the Struck Podcast. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.